0: Does virtual connection actually make us crave physical connection more? Yes, without a doubt. I, for one, am very much looking forward to being able to hug people and kiss people again when the future, you know, when when that's safe to do so. There's something about physical presence, whether it's in a place or with people, that you just cannot replicate with the very best of technology.
1: That's Hisham Alawi, co-founder of Experience Morocco. Hisham wants people to build a lasting connection with his own country. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, I spoke with Hisham over video chat while he was at home in Casablanca. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about the importance of the team. You know, who you surround yourself with really matters, especially in a time of uncertainty. So I asked Hisham his thoughts on
0: building a company with the right kind of team. My co-founder and I have always had a somewhat unique definition of success for Experience Morocco. Our definition of success is that the business essentially can run without us, that things are being escalated to us only in an advisory capacity, but that we have empowered a fantastic generation of leaders who do the job for better than we could ourselves. This runs contrary to conventional thinking, at least in most developing economies, and I personally know of very large family-run conglomerates that are still managed in this line of thinking, which is, I must be at the center of everything. If I'm not involved in every decision, if everything isn't run by me, then I'm failing as a business leader. And that is the absolute last thing that Ghassan and I had in mind for Experience Morocco. So then the challenge becomes, how do you, in an early phase, start hiring young people with talent that you can groom into managers over time. By and large, through the years, we've succeeded in building a fantastic executive team, all of whom started at junior level positions, and that's a hard thing to do. And in the life of a business, at some point, and I know that you've thought about this at SNP as well, is bringing in professional management, right? Bringing in that that C-suite executive who's been there and done that a couple of other times in other businesses. And there's a temptation to do that; it's natural. You face a certain level of growth where you feel like your capacities as a manager are bound by your abilities and your management team isn't cutting it and you think about bringing on those outside folks who can solve all the problems even if you're paying them you know a a high wage but we did not fall prone to that thinking and instead invested in this layer of bright young managers i'm proud to say all of whom are women uh, which in a place like morocco is not something you can take for granted and giving them enough responsibility and power and decision-making ability that they slowly made the mistakes they needed to make and rose to the levels where they're at today. And so for us, the thinking there was also to send a message at a very small scale, again, not with the arrogance of saying we're going to transform society, but just to send a message that even in a society that doesn't value delegated decision-making and autonomy, if you run a business that respects those principles, you can be successful. And I'm proud to say that we have been able to unlock that.
1: Hisham says he doesn't want people to just see or visit Morocco. He wants them to experience it the tastes, the sounds, the smells, the sights. And I can attest to this. Uh, Our co-founder and my husband and father of our two children, we took a customer there and we did this thing with Hisham and experienced Morocco and it was exactly that. It was an experience. And he wants people to walk away from their travels a little bit richer with culture. And it is an extraordinary business. If Hisham and I were having this conversation a few months ago or when I was there with them i would have loved to have talked more about it but as things stand experienced morocco has been upended by the pandemic so our conversation is very different so instead i asked hisham about what he felt like when he realized the magnitude of what was happening
0: slowly but surely the news of the coronavirus crisis started spreading and it became a subject of conversation, even in my meeting with travel agents. We ended up spending 90% of the time talking about the COVID crisis, and 10% about uh, Morocco and what I had to tell them. And so it, there was a seeping realization, okay, no, this is not just a, a narrow event, this is going to impact all of us very quickly. It's from their perspective, the agents were seeing initially cancellations only in China, then it became cancellations in other parts of the world that were affected and, and very quickly, it spiraled into canceling everything. And so from our perspective, there were really a few different phases. The first phase was, People on the ground who started getting jittery. So, we had people traveling with us through the middle of March who started asking us to cut short their trip. So, we just want to get back home. We're getting worried. And so, obviously, our first concern there was just getting back, getting everyone back home as safely as possible and as quickly as possible. Then it was cancellations and postponements. So, that was a whole other phase. And then came the third phase, which we're now in, which is how do we get a bigger perspective on this crisis? How do we assess its long term ramifications and how do we? to use your own words, to make sure that we come out on the other side, right? So once the immediate crisis is over, then you start asking yourself the big questions. And that's the phase that we're in right now. I don't have the game plan yet. And I'd be lying to you if I said that I did. Uh, What I have is a set of questions that we're starting to ask ourselves with more and more specificity to try to figure out what the travel landscape looks like on the other end and how we adapt. Um, I should say, you said, The best leaders appear during wartime, or the founders are are wartime leaders. One thing we did during peacetime, which is really saving our asses now, is to have a very conservative approach to money. And this is kind of a taboo subject. People don't really like getting into their finances and all that. But having had a conservative approach to finances means that we have enough cash flow to see the crisis through uh, and be able to be sure that we're there on the other end. But then, as a founder, and this is where I think you can make a general statement about founders it's not in our nature to sit and wait. By most accounts, the travel industry is going to take two to three years to get back to 2019. It's just not something that I can picture myself doing to say, okay, we've made all the, we've taken all the measures we needed to take. Now we just got to ride out the storm for two or three years and things will be back to where they were. So the question is, what do we do with our time? We have a team of highly competent, you know, amazing people that we feel can use their skills, not only in travel, but in other things. How do we leverage that talent? And, keep ourselves busy, and hopefully make money over the next two years while things pick back up again. And that's the conversation we're having right now.
1: I always loved the fact that you wanted to go back to your country to give back. And i it's always something I've admired about you because it would have been just as easy to have taken something um, easier or done something closer to Silicon Valley and all that. But the dedication to your country I thought was really, really cool. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: The first job I can remember wanting was Moroccan ambassador to the United States. As soon as I figured out that I speak English and I understand American culture, and I also speak Arabic, and I'd like to think that I understand my country, it seemed like there was one job that could really leverage those two skills. And that was to be the ambassador of my country in the US of A. And so that's the first dream job I can remember of thinking of.
1: How old were you when you had
0: that thought? This would have been about sixth grade. So I was born in Paris. And when I was five, my parents decided to move back to Morocco, which is their country of origin. And at that point, they were faced with the choice or selection of a school system for their kids, French system, Spanish system, American system, uh, or the Moroccan uh, private school system as well. And my father's first job ever was at IBM. So he has always had a cultural affinity for the United States. My parents actually met and started Uh, their friendship before they were dating uh, as part of a bicentennial trip to the United States. So they were in the U.S. to celebrate the 200-year anniversary of the the United States. And so we've always had this this family, an affinity for the States. And therefore, my parents chose to put my sister and I in the American school, which gave us a unique upbringing, um, a very sheltered and privileged upbringing, but also one that was full of contradictions. Because essentially, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 p.m., I was in an enclave of Americana in the middle of Casablanca. That means American teachers an American curriculum. I learned American history. Uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog was one of the first books I read, right? So it's that kind of education, but also, you know, existing in a society where the language is different, a lot of the values guiding that society are different than the ones espoused in the school. And so it was this bizarre experience of growing up with sort of one environment during the day and then a very different environment during nights and weekends. And it left me with the desire to take all of those learnings build on them, and come back to Morocco, and somehow contribute to making this place a little bit better. I, I don't have the arrogance to claim I can transform the world, but I do think that my marginal utility or the, the, the worth that I have for my country is higher than uh, if I'm one of 20,000 employees of Google in the United
1: States. And when you were 18, you came to the United States for undergrad at Princeton. You then started your career at Google before going to business school. And when you were doing your MBA at Harvard, something prompted you to start your own company. Tell us that story.
0: Yeah, I think the first realization I had arriving at the beginning of my MBA program is the standard path and what that looked like. Um, In an MBA program, most people end up going into tech or consulting or finance. Um, And there is a commonly understood reality that should you want to enter those paths following an MBA they are available to you so i couldn't figure out why more people weren't experimenting whether that means taking some time off or starting a startup or you know do nonprofit work whatever the case may be it just seems like a, it seemed to me like a wasted opportunity and i put that to the test in the summer between the first and second year of the mba program along with three other misguided souls we came up with this idea of rather than interning Uh, in a traditional path uh, for the summer, we would instead uh, start this crazy endeavor called MBAs Across America. We came up with this concept of going on the road and working with entrepreneurs in places that are out of the way. So not your New York, not San Francisco, but rather Detroit, New Orleans, Las Vegas, uh, places out of the way of the normal connected hubs around the US and find entrepreneurs in those places who had a unique business challenge that they could uh, use our help with. And we offered to put our time uh, to use uh, and explore and connect with the tissue of entrepreneurship in the parts of the States that we don't often think about. And we came away from that experience, realizing that entrepreneurs don't have a magic playbook. They just have a will to go out and try something new. And most of the people we worked with, some of them had college degrees, but not all of them did. And very few of them had any advanced degrees. And yet they were still running companies that were in many cases, multimillion dollar businesses. Uh, and that drove home even further, this notion that having an MBA and putting it to work in a Google, a Facebook, a McKinsey, no offense to any of those businesses, they're great companies. But going straight into that seemed like a bit of a waste because there was this safety net for the rest of my life, which was I can always go into these businesses. So why not start something different? So that was the impetus around being open to creating a, a new business. And then fate, uh connected me. To a man who became a friend and then and now my my business co-founder uh, who was also Moroccan, so we put our heads together and started brainstorming a lot of different ideas, none of which was in the field we ultimately ended up in, which is travel. Uh, but the concept of moving back to Morocco and starting something of our own was one that we uh, quickly grappled onto. Uh, and then our friends in school asked us to put together a trip for them to Morocco. We reached out to professionals in the industry in Morocco who could put something together for us. And we felt like we could come up with something better than the bids that we were receiving. So we organized that very first journey ourselves and in the process stumbled into this unique opportunity of uh, curating experiences around our beautiful country of Morocco.
1: Now, also as a founder, there are lots of people out there um, that'll be listening to this that are young and they're thinking that maybe, you know, they could do something like this. What advice do you give to young people who are thinking, "I'd like"? to... I, it's funny business.
0: you ask me this because two hours ago I was on a call with 20 master's degree students at the University in Rabat, um, having this very conversation. How do I start a business? Can I start a business? Why should I start a business? And candidly, it's a very different answer depending on who you're speaking to. I think it would be naive to tell to have a standard answer about yes, you should go out and start a business, no matter who it is that you're speaking with. What is your current situation. Do you have family responsibilities? Are you the only breadwinner or do you have someone else in the household who is providing an income as well? How old are you? That's also something that you should take into account. Uh, how much financial risk are you willing to take? Some people can risk $100 and for them, that's a big deal. Others can risk millions of dollars and not lose sleep over it. So it would be presumptuous to say that's founding a business is a hear-all and something that everyone should try at some point in their lives. They would be naive to say that because the circumstances differ. That being said, I will say, if you have the freedom, the flexibility, if you can incur some financial risk, if you are not the only breadwinner in your household, if you don't have any responsibilities for, for kids or you know, a spouse, uh, if, if life has afforded you the luxury where you are able to take that risk and not feel like your whole entire world is going to disappear, then you should because you will learn something from it. It might not be a financial success, but it will never be a failure if you choose to look at it through the lens of what did I learn? We spoke of it, Experience Morocco, and I'm happy that that has proven so far to be a successful venture. But in the time since we've created Experience Morocco, my co-founder and I have also created other ventures which did not work out. And I don't look back on them and say, that was dumb or that was idiotic or we shouldn't have done that. I look back on them and said, okay, here's what we did wrong there. And here's what we did wrong there. And here's what we learned from this experience and from that experience. So. Bottom line, if life has afforded you the luxury of being able to start an adventure in an entrepreneurial capacity, then I encourage everyone to do so because you'll learn something from it. And, and life is all about learning, at least in my opinion. But I don't want to presume that that's the case for everyone, because I think we often indulge in this founder talk between founders that like, well, I don't get why more people don't do this. Well, most people's reality is doesn't simply afford them the luxury to do that. Not everyone should be a founder, because we should respect that people's circumstances are different.
1: Hisham has a very grounded and realistic view when it comes to translating an idea into a business. He understands the risks, but there are too many ups and downs to count. And that there's no guarantee you'll succeed. So I asked Hisham to think about his own journey and some of the things he's had to deal with as a leader. I think,
0: again, context is everything. Moroccan society, by and large, in 2020, I'm hoping that 2050 will be a different reality, is not a society where entrepreneurship in general is seen as a path for success in life. And so when people ask you how you're doing, some of them are asking, with genuine intentions and because they're concerned for your well-being. A lot of people, though, are asking because they're hoping that you will tell them how hard life is to prove the point that you shouldn't have gone there in the first place. So you build an armor, whether that's in the particular case of Moroccan society or, more generally, with other founders, with your peers, people you used to work with, whether it's Google or Harvard, the MBA crowd, whatever the case may be, there's a pressure that when people are asked, In how are you doing? How's the business going? The answer you should provide is fine, great, amazing, never better. And the honest truth is that's BS, right? Some days are good, some days are bad. In any small business, there are highs and and, uh, and those are amazing and they're very low lows. And there's a reluctance to share that as if vulnerability is something to be ashamed of. And this is me speaking as a man imagine or I, I'm trying to imagine if I were a woman, how much harder that would be. Because again, there's another level of, of armor or defense that you want to maintain. Uh, and so I just, I'm just i fortunate to have enough people in my life to be able to be forthright with and to share the lows, and to have a supportive network of friends of which I'm proud to call Ren one of them. Um, but most founders I've run into struggle with this struggle with having one or two people that can not only hold them accountable when things are going well, but also be supportive when things aren't going so well. And so if this is being heard by potential founders or founders out there who are going through a tough pass, my message is just, there's many more of you than you think there are because everyone's playing the game and no one wants to admit that they're stuck or going through a hard time. And I wish other people had just told me that it's not all going to be roses and there's going to be some really low lows where you're going to feel like you have to hide them. That's it. We're only human.
1: And is, is it lonely?
0: I can't imagine starting a company alone. I know people who have done it and more power to them, but I am so fortunate and blessed to have engaged in this adventure with a co-founder with whom I'm still working seven years into it. And with whom my, my friendship has, uh, Gone through highs and lows, but it's still strong as ever. Um, having someone to bounce ideas off of, having someone to keep your moral compass in check, to make the right decisions, that uh, throughout the struggles of the business is invaluable. And so, I'm fortunate to say it hasn't been lonely for me because I've had a supportive co-founder by my side. And even having just that one believer, that one person, helps make it much less lonely. Um, but I, I would think twice about engaging in an entrepreneurial adventure alone. Which again more power to you if that's what you've done, and and I can't imagine that, but it is is a lonely adventure, and it's much better to go through it with someone by your side.
1: As a matter of fact, I agree with him. Being one half of a co-founder relationship myself, I appreciate being able to share the good days and the bad days with my co-founder, especially with the incredible amount of uncertainty we're working through right now. It helps to have someone to face it with. As we've talked about Experience Morocco from how it started to the current situation, Hisham reflected on the growth of the company and also looked ahead to the coming months and beyond.
0: We have been blessed to have started a business in travel at a time when all of the tides in travel were rising. So whether you were running a hotel, whether you were an individual, guide, just yourself guiding people, whether you were a transportation company, anything dealing with the world of travel, even the airlines, over the past seven years, they've seen pretty much nonstop growth. Uh, And so we were very fortunate to be in in that kind of a climate. It was certainly a fortuitous time to start a venture, and it led us to be able to scale quickly. We have never been as challenged in the history of the business as we have been over the last three months. Because it came out of nowhere, because we don't know how long the impacts are going to last, because the impacts are very profound, because this is changing people's desires about your product. desire that people have to explore other cultures and see other parts of the world isn't going anywhere. The only question is, when can we start doing so without feeling like we're putting ourselves at unnecessary risk? Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, that's a matter of months, maybe one or two years—it's not an indefinite thing. I can't picture a world where all of a sudden we stop traveling. It's just not in our DNA. If you go back as far back as you know the Neanderthals, like we've always had a desire to go and explore uh, and and see what's beyond our limits. So I have no doubt that travel will come back. The question, though, is how many of the current players in the travel space make it on the other side? How many hotels are going to be able to survive? How many restaurants? How many guides? How many drivers? How many people? who are accustomed to making their living from this industry, if the industry is essentially on standby for months or years, how many of those people are still around? And by the way, we might lose some people that are better off going off in different directions. They're, not every guide is great. you know. Not every hotel is amazing. So maybe this ho- opens up an opportunity for brand new players to enter and provide something very different. Uh, but I, I have no doubt that travel will re-emerge. The question that I'm facing is, in the space, for it to reemerge, how do we best use our time and our talents rather than just wait and see? That's what we're trying to answer.
1: There are many, many challenges we're all facing today. For one, people need to feel a connection and being physically apart is necessarily at odds with that. Yes, plenty of us are connecting with each other even more thanks to technology, but still there's an underlying loneliness that the screen cannot compensate for. And of course, there's also the financial burden people all over the world suddenly have to bear. I asked Hisham to share some of his thoughts on the situation
0: we're all united against the fight uh, or in the fight against this virus for the, in a way that we've never been as a species around the world. True. Yes, we're more connected than we've ever been before. Also true. I also think, though, that the disparities between different countries are coming to light in a way that they never were in the past. Uh, for, to give you just one example, a lot of praise is being heaped on Sweden for their approach to how they've managed this crisis, uh, but very few countries in the developing world can emulate what Sweden did without drastic consequences in terms of human lives. Uh, Social distancing is a very easy thing to embrace when you're in a society where the level of income is such that most people have personal space. But in other markets and in other countries, the very concept of social distancing runs against the way in which many people are cramped in very small lodgings. So yes, we're closer together than we've ever been before, but I also think some of the differences are emerging in a way that they were very conveniently ignored in the past. Does virtual connection actually make us crave physical connection more? Yes, without a doubt. I, for one, am very much looking forward to being able to hug people and kiss people again when the future, you know, when, when that's safe to do so. There's something about physical presence whether it's in a place or with people that you just cannot replicate with the very best of technology. And, you know, in our part of the world, we, we say hello with two kisses, one on each cheek. And so in a society like that, to be deprived of the essential two kiss greeting, it hurts so deep uh, that we can't all wait to, to go back to that. But obviously when it will be safe. So let's just hope that we can get back to it sooner rather than later.
1: That was Hisham Alawi, co-founder of Experience Morocco. Founded in 2013, Experience Morocco is a bespoke travel company that prides itself on creating quintessential Moroccan moments for each and every unique traveler. Here's to better days when we once again visit beautiful places like Morocco. That was the final episode in our first season of Think Like a Founder. Season two will launch in September. So stay tuned. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani Schell, John Hughes, and Ren Vara. This is Think Like a Founder.